1: Welcome to SpotCast. This is episode 32. My name is Tim and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty then. Um, okay, so starting off the bat here, we have some fact check. So I have some fact. check. Did you add some fact check, Jonathan? I did not add fact check. I, I, no. I clearly I, the thing
2: slipped through the cracks on me. So
1: isn't that how you got on the show? Like I, I feel like check? I yeah. I feel like I've uh, let let the team You're letting down. Down your end, yeah. You're letting down your end. Well, I just wanted to make sure that the Whovians out there aren't you know bursting you know blood vessels in their head because when you say timey-wimey because the actual expression at 549 last week is it should actually be wibbly wobbly timey-wimey wibbly wobbly timey-wimey yeah and that is how they'll
2: fix the avengers in avengers endgame wibbly wobbly the
1: wibbly wobbly timey-wimey stuff yeah timey timey-wimey things cool all right and at 14 minutes in the show i mentioned i believe it was whiplash i called it but it was actually the movie was called whip it and it starred juno star um Da, da, like da, da, ellen page da, uh, ellen page thank you very much mm-hmm. also star of uh x game, x-men the the next uh, generation whatever um yeah so the, the <laughs> movie was class? called whip It. it w- sorry first class first class yes um the the movie was actually called whip it and it was not directed by by um our friend from um, ghostbusters it was actually directed by drew barrymore so sorry drew i didn't mean to take that away from you and uh, at 34 minutes, I mentioned the candidate as a movie, but the candidate was a, a movie about a different candidate running for president. I believe it was um, Robert Redford. But the one I was thinking of was the Contender, where Jeff Bridges, the dude, was the president. And all and it was like probably about six months after you know the Dude movie came out, which is um, man, big, big, I'm having a real hard time. Big today. Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. Six months after the Big Lebowski came out, so like all we could do is like every time he opened his mouth, we're like Dude. He's running for president. Who's <laughs> president? It was just so hard to take. The president abides. The carpet really did, you know, make the room. Right? <laughs> All right. And that's just like my opinion, man. Man. <laughs> All right. So I guess we have some headlines to cover off here. So because we have no asks podcast, because nobody ever tweets us. feel so left out by people. Anyway. Tweet, so, to be uh, fair,
2: I get it live after every
1: episode. I get a lot of the live feedback here in the household. So Do you? Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah, so you, you have the number one fan. Our, our number that's one true. fan mm.
2: is always full of questions.
1: Oh, after we do the show or while we're doing the show? After he listens to the show.
2: Oh, oh I heard so. you guys talk. Talking about this, and then,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I believe you have some uh, some headlines for us.
3: Yeah. Before I go in there, I think it, my correction might need a correction because I'm probably going to get it slightly wrong. But I think Ellen Page was not in the X-Men First Class lineage of films. I think, or at least not the very first movie. I think it was X3 or X-Men Three: The Last Stand. Yeah. Oh, but really? She came
2: okay. back for the Days of Future Past one too. Oh, that's right. That's right. So she's yeah. she's canonically she's, she's been in, Kitty in Pryde in both. I think of the of the the different ones yeah that's that's a good point all right so we've
1: pre-corrected so what's jordan peele up to these
3: days you know what he's doing um i guess this is technically follow-up too but we have an actual date here for how the twilight zone and its appearance on cbs all access this april 1st very strange day will make my cbs all access seem that much more <laughs> valuable than just <laughs> star trek discovery so more than just a singular show and i apparently won't have to wait for the picard and georgeo series to come out i wonder what excellent
2: series uh, uh, canadian broadcast will be showing it to us for nothing, Tim.
1: Oh, really?
2: I wonder. <laughs> you have any idea? No. I, if I had to wager, just based on how things have worked out, I would say space. But I have no way to corroborate that. So,
1: well, that's true because space doesn't space. Space used to show until um, they turned into the all Star Trek all the time channel. They used to show uh, Twilight Zone episodes. In fact, I think they still do actually. Now, that I think about it. Yeah, one night a week, or they used to do it every every day at seven o'clock or something like that, seven p.m. OK, oh, you next? know what? It, it, what? so they're going to
3: show this on Thursdays. So does that mean Discovery ends like the week prior? I, I didn't map out to see when the end of the season
1: Ooh. is. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like how many episodes are we going to get of um, Discovery? Like 12 or 13, probably. I, Wait, I, I have to see a I have thing called results. IMDB here right here. I can look up the the planned schedule for releases here while you talk. Yeah, I'm going to guess that it
3: ends immediately the week prior because Thursday nights is Star Trek Discovery Night as far as CBS All Access goes. So It's like mm-hmm. they know you were going to pull the plug immediately after finishing the season of Discovery. They really took my cancellation <laughs> feedback to heart and <laughs> they said this cannot be... <laughs>
1: All right, they're worried. Yeah, okay. Um, You can go on to the next thing. I'll come back to this. Oh, unless you want the answer right now. Um, So we have episodes... uh, We've had episode one and two. Episode 11th is planned for March 29th, and there's a 12th, 13th, and 14th episode, but there's no date uh, set for those yet, so i and, see i and, see so
3: there will be a little bit of overlap
1: but that's how they uh, get you
3: well timed yeah yeah well they're
1: probably going to have like a season splitter because that seems to be the way they go these days right they, they show you so much and then they they hold off for a bit you can't binge them all at once right but right so they're definitely season,
3: am i correct in thinking that last year or last season it actually was split over the year like over the holidays or something yeah i think they split it over the uh, christmas break last year hmm. for season one yeah but heck, that but doesn't I, stop them from doing it this time. You can say, hey, look, everybody's in Cabo San <laughs> you know, yeah. on spring break, so no no Star Trek Discovery this week. And then just have another break and then set it out at a slightly different time. Get a
1: little bit more well, That's good. Overlap. It gives me chance to go to the Big Island and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm, in April. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's Stephen King up to then, I mean?
3: He is adding ever-increasing value to my CBS All Access. <laughs> subscription <laughs> with a uh, what is being called a 10 episode limited series of uh, the stand it's not the first time that it's been adapted but uh, i certainly think i'll be watching this one hmm. all but right i don't know that i'm like as familiar with the Stand. i'm really trying to think so this article here mentions that abc aired uh, a miniseries back in 94 but yep. i really don't remember what that looked like I, I really focused more on that um around the same era uh it sort of movie aesthetics i don't really know what this one looked like yeah have to
2: look at they
1: up. all from the same era they was a whole
3: i mean stephen king ruled the 1980s
2: and into the 90s they just kept making properties based on his work the the tv miniseries was not bad but i mean for anyone who's read the book which is a monstrosity it's huge and thick and heavy um there's a lot of story there that you know sort of fell by the wayside so it'll be interesting to see uh what it is they're going to do on cbs all access as far as i mean it says 10 episodes right so that's something that we never would have gotten like this is an indicator of the new era of television we're in right before or, you know, you'd get the exactly what you described. I mean, you get a two-part, you know, Sunday night and Monday night on ABC. Tune in and get the mm-hmm. it, you know, mini two two movies in a row. Whereas now we get, you know, 10 hours to tell this story, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, and
3: in the article here, it says uh, CBS did not announce a release date for The Stand. Let me tell you here that it's almost certainly going to uh, slightly overlap with Twilight Zone <laughs> yeah. or right the week right after it ends. Or it might slightly overlap or right after it ends with the card series so yeah ex- I, I was gonna guess. say i think you're
2: exactly right you're, so you're gonna go straight from from discovery to twilight zone to this to picard to the georgia series and then back to discovery they're gonna have you 365 now just
1: collecting this streaming uh, channels that's right gotta get them all cool. gotta get them all all right so uh and to get more for us there how many? Yeah this is this is changing
3: to a different streaming channel not being Netflix but apparently they're going to create a uh, series based on the Resident Evil video game property so that'll be that'll be interesting and exciting. I I have to admit I have not seen all of the uh, Mila Jovovich verse Resident Evil movies. I I know I've seen three because I think I, last one I saw was she was like in the desert or something. But there are like six or seven of these things. I think one of them is a three D movie. So I, I'm definitely well behind on that. Um, let me reread this article. Uh, I think it's supposed to be in that same sort of vein, but I don't know that it's necessarily in the same timeline.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. All these games that came to yeah because it started out as a, as a movie was it one movie or did it do a sequel they, they, uh, they, six of them I think yeah yeah Wait, is, this, is this the one with Milik jonovich yeah
3: yeah 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 you probably oh, remember yeah, yeah, her yeah. like uh jumping off the wall and kicking the zombie dog in the movie trailer
1: yeah yeah actually that I think the first movie is filmed at Nathan Phillips Square which is our our city hall downtown though so, if I remember correctly or maybe Armageddon or something like that I remember her on a rope running down the side of the building. At some point in the past,
3: yeah, and this is well timed because they um, uh, just released the uh, what do they call it? it a remake of Resident Evil Two in a more uh, oh, really? modern style. Huh. Yeah, yeah, people um,
2: really like that. I've been reading on the blogosphere about that. What's what's it? What is it that they like? They've done a, a, like a remastered version, so it was oh. one of the sort of more iconic horror games of its era. Uh, had a lot of fans, very influential on on sort of future franchises and built a fan base for things like Walking Dead um, and some stuff to come and they've done a an updated version of the classic game and uh, and
1: yeah, apparently it's been a hit. So was it a first person shooter type game? Because that was pretty popular back then when those things came out on CD-ROM.
2: Yeah, but it's uh, those games are sort of, you know, zombie murder, but they're also, they're, it's like a thriller so it's a little bit of a slow burn at times and there's the creepy sort of mystery stuff so it's not just uh, run and gun action, it's not like Call of Duty or anything like that, it's much more um, slow and creepy at times um it's it's there are times where those games are genuinely unsettling mm. yeah you know, and
3: because i'm sure xavier will will point this out to you in person <laughs> it's not a first person shooter like doom or quake or halo but it's a survival horror so it's a lot more yeah. similar mm. to like
1: alone in the dark yeah um maniac mansion arguably um right right okay but are you in the first person or do you have a character that you're navigating no, i think you're third person is it oh, yeah okay. The, okay. the
3: original edition of resident evil 2 was uh kind of it used, I think, to still use the pre-rendered scenes uh, back on the PlayStation, and so you were yeah, seeing it yeah. from a third person, but from a um, like stylized movie angles sort of mm-hmm. view. Mm-hmm. And the more modern Resident Evil, starting with like Resident Evil Four, um, started using the like Gears of War style third person, slightly behind their their right shoulder sort of view. Yeah.
1: All right. Okay. Cool. All right, and I posted something here that's it's pretty much follow up. We've talked about the uh, the appearance of William Shatner's face and um, a number of. Well, specifically in the, I believe in the Jason stories, um, Halloween. Which is Halloween, Halloween In right? the Halloween was no yeah. Michael
2: Myers, Halloween,
1: Michael Myers, Michael Myers. So yeah, sorry, and uh, so and the rumor was that they had taken a mask of, and I thought it was just like a Hollywood, you know, horror story, horror show mask of William Shatner and reversed it. But it turns, I found this through William Chatner William Shatner's uh, Twitter feed actually that uh, they actually did a movie called The Devil's Reign where the characters' faces would melt, and you can see in the Link in the show notes here. That there's a picture of William Shatner wearing the mask that was made for for his face melting scene, and uh, that was taken by um, uh, inspired John Carpenter in in, to, in Dark Star and even Texas Chainsaw Massacre to have that sort of same sort of thing. But that actual mask became the mask that they they put on to Michael Myers in uh, in uh, the first Halloween movie or second Halloween movie because I don't think he's in the first one, right? No, he's um, in the first
2: one. You're thinking of Friday the Thirteenth? That's Jason.
1: Oh, I think of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, Jason, yeah. So, um, yeah, so anyway, so and that led on to, leads on to uh, other inspirations, and, and uh, particularly uh, Greg Nic- Nicotero, who was influenced by a lot of these movies, has now taken that same sort of thing, and uh, he's introducing a new character, which we're going to find out when the Walking Dead returns, so spoilers for those of you who don't know, but the new characters are the Whisperers, who wear death masks over top of their 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 faces and mm-hmm. they they walk and act like zombies but they're i think they they don't think they are is that correct John
2: yeah, the idea is that they they survive by blending in. So they wear the skin of the dead, and they they get the name Whisperers because they never speak at volume. They are the Whisperers. Uh, very right. creepy um, characters that were created, obviously by Robert Kirkman, the series creator, um, uh, comic book series creator, uh, years ago in the book, and that finally sort of made the uh, made the transition to television. So really creepy in the books. Really interesting to see how creepy they are on uh, brought to life because the whole look like zombies but aren't zombies can be anywhere and are sort of creepy and silent is it's tailor-made for a show like that
1: so a question how do they how do they rent how do they illustrate the whispering like because you know usually usually have thought bubbles or, so or speech bubbles in often comics, right? what
2: they'll do is they'll do a regular sized bubble but they'll write the words smaller and centered in the middle with white space around oh, them okay. so you get right. the illusion that if what would fill that bubble normally would be normal speech that therefore it's been reduced in volume because it's been reduced in size and scope on, inside that bubble
3: it's actually a very effective
1: um, visual storytelling tool that's cool all right learn something new there you go all right so how many got something for us and
3: yeah, I mean, if your New Year's resolution was to collect as many streaming services as you possibly could. Oh, cool! Uh, this is the news for you because the Criterion Channel uh, people even remember the Criterion Collection, the uh, of course, yes. rather well done DVD collections. I have uh, still still uh, coming out. They're still making them. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they've got a streaming service. The Criterion Channel is going to start for uh, ten ninety nine a month, US or nine ninety nine. Sorry, ninety nine dollars per year, uh, with apparently Charter cable subscribers getting a discounted rate of nine ninety nine a month or $89 a year. If they sign up before April 8th, which is when it debuts. Hmm. Um, I'm a little unclear on what their original programming is going to be. They, it says here that they will have, uh, criterion's entire streaming library along with uh, a constantly refreshed selection of Hollywood international art house and independent films. But I'm going to guess they will definitely need some sort of original series sort of, uh, you know, corner, uh, no, what do they call it? The, um, the key residents yeah. will get people to come. Well,
2: you know, for what it is, they provide again, I have, uh, like i think all three of us do have a bunch of these discs when they do the criterion treatment on these these movies it's usually sort of the best uh version of the film that you can come by with a lot of supplemental materials and a lot of and a high quality version of the film usually a lot of um different uh behind the scenes um people doing the commentaries tracks and stuff like that if you think about the value the, the expense rather of the criterion collection as a whole and the fact that they have an exclusive on a lot of classic and well-revered films if you think about those things are like 30 dollars us a pop you could make a case if they put that entire catalog out there and you are a fan of that high-end film uh and that sort of you know the art house films and the you know the auteur films and things like that it might be worth it i I don't know that it'd be worth it i mean it says they're going to constantly refresh it but right now criterion puts out three to four titles a month every month um and they're all excellent they, they have very good taste in, in movies but even if you're if you're getting four new movies a month i don't know how long you'd hold on to your subscription
1: right yeah and you know i spend a lot of time a lot of my time watching turner classic movies just because i like to see the old films especially around oscar time and awards season because they'll show a lot of you know best actor you know kind of nominations from the past and and um, some of my favorite films are, are uh, the Criterion ones. Like, one of my favorite films is For All Mankind, which is, I've got you know, I have that in various VHS and, and DVD and all that kind of stuff. But when they when they went to do the, uh, the Criterion version, for instance, they, they actually went and got the film that they had frozen, you know, from when they made it, because they went back to the original source material that the astronauts filmed on the way to the moon, and they scanned each frame, frame by frame, and did the best high-quality high rendering they could for each frame. So you're not just getting a movie that's been transposed into a criterion quote-unquote doing air quotes but they actually go through and they painstakingly reproduce and they you know if they if it's an older film they'll they'll retouch the the image and say a photoshop or something like that to make it you know that much better but clearer for the for the size format so you're right they do spend a lot of time from the art house perspective or from the I don't know what you call an audio, what do you call a film, uh audiophile film person type, type of thing. You know, they, they uh, go all that. Yeah. The cinephiles. Yeah. Cinephiles. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they take that approach to it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And again, they, they, the movies that they like, they are committed to, you know, sort of the highest sort of, you know, they are the ones who bring the Kurosawa movies, the Fellinis, the Ingmar Bergman, the Truffaut, like the real, you know, high end stuff. They do lean into the pop culture stuff. Sometimes you'll get the, uh, you know the D- David Cronenberg you'll get um you know some of the you know, Terry Gilliam right they did a great version of Brazil right mm-hmm. um you know they, they do some of that stuff too but they 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 really make sure that you know like some of these sort of timeless classic you know films get sort of the very best version of themselves put forward movies that would have been made a long time ago that are available or had been available in media on the v- VHS or DVD these guys do as you say like a, a beautiful restoration of these movies that look like nothing else I I have a couple of the Kurosawa ones, and they are breathtaking in the way that they are brought forward from uh, the first time I saw them on a VHS cassette. They looked like, you know, spotty and covered in grain and bits of... Feel flying across as you're watching them now these they're immaculate they're beautiful so again there's there's value there but i don't know if it's a hundred dollars a year u.s or
1: is that what it's going to be i guess it's 14.99 or whatever yeah yeah a hundred
2: dollars a year is that what you said hi may
3: yes if you sign up before april 8th it's uh, 99 wow. us per year or if you do it per month at, at 9.99 you're talking you know rounded up to 120 because it's a few cents off so that's like a thousand dollars canadian
2: by my reckoning so yeah, i don't I think, think so, that's yeah. worth it yeah. really that's a mortgage
1: yeah Yeah, sure. that's right that's right <laughs> yeah that's crazy it's, I, again like i worry about jaime's you know pocketbook with all these streaming services that he has to collect you know
2: well and we expect <laughs> him to at least have a, a, the month's free trial so that we can get in on whether or not we should bother spending our money on that because it's always yeah. in america months before it comes here anyways sorry was that
1: and we'll get him on netflix netflix before he does like, that's true that's true and we'll get them for free on space and showcase and stuff <laughs> um well not free i mean we do pay for the Services. That's, that's, we, true. We, that's true. That's you true. Know, we paid like Tim Hortons money for that. Yeah. Um, this next story makes me sad. You know, every time this particular character gets a, gets a redo, I get sad because it was one of my favorite characters growing up. I mean, of course, you'll find out who it is in a minute, but. Um, every time they they bring out a new one, I think, oh, this will be interesting, and then they they seem to take them away too quickly. So what am I talking about, Jonathan?
2: Well, uh, news today from our friends at Deadline uh, that uh, the Batman, the uh, much anticipated Matt Reeves uh, version of the the uh, Dark Knight uh, on in movie form, is coming on June twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. So we have a launch date, uh, but it has now been confirmed by them that Ben Affleck is is not returning for the role of Batman. Um, mm. Obviously, we've, he's been Batman in the last few uh, DC films, Batman vs. Superman, Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, Justice League. Um, the movie, the reason they're saying is that uh, the movie is going to focus on a younger version of Bruce Wayne, somebody uh, near the beginning of the career. They have been clear in this article that it is not going to be modeled after uh, Frank Miller's amazing uh, Batman Year One storyline, because why would you classic why would you copy a classic when you could completely make up something completely new um so yeah it's uh it's, it is a little bittersweet you know you never know what to expect from these things we've had some good batmans we've had some not as good batmans um we had the nipples we had the bat nipples um you know it's i i don't i don't know you guys have any strong feelings about um, ben affleck's tenure brief as it was i mean three movies well i look at it this way he wasn't val kilmer he wasn't mm-hmm. uh nor yeah. was he bat nipples uh cooney but uh, you know didn't knock uh, my socks off i i, I found no. that the, the scene in in batman v superman it's funny there's so many things that people rag on batman versus superman dawn of justice for uh it's the scene where uh batman is just blatantly murdering people uh that kind of really turned me off of where they were going with this iteration of the character because um for longtime fans batman doesn't kill no S- true. so i found that to be a pretty um shocking turn now i don't blame ben affleck for that i blame back uh so not his choice however it's hard not to have left that indelible mark on the on the character um again we say what you will you, you know it's hard not to think of the fact that you know the michael keaton version also killed people uh ostensibly and so did the val kilmer and the you know other ones have done it And although not quite as brazen or violently uh but yeah it just I don't I don't have strong and happy memories of, of Ben Affleck's time. Maybe I'll look back with more wist, but especially coming on the heels of the trilogy uh, of Dark Knight films where Christian Bale knocked it out of the park um, with the exception of inexplicably quitting for five years or whatever it was between the two uh, last movies, which is the stupidest bat storyline ever. Um, I think he had a really tough role to fill. Uh, I don't think he was terrible. He wasn't the worst part of any of those movies. However, uh, I guess it'll be remain to be seen who they decide to bring in if they're talking about a younger actor um, you know I don't know how young they're thinking but immediately my mind went to til- uh, Timothy Chalamet because he's you know uh, on the tip of everyone's tongues personally I want right, them to yeah. cast the kid from Gotham because I just love the idea of that but
1: uh... yeah and he's getting quite a big too like I, was, I just caught caught an episode the other day that I haven't watched that show in a few years but he's he's getting quite up there in terms of age um, but it's interesting though like the thing about Batman for me it's, it's the portrayal of Bruce Wayne that is what makes or breaks a Batman to me because like, I mean once you put the cowl on it doesn't matter what he does but I mean maybe from the point of view of of his actions whether he's killing people like you said or or driving around on these big you know balloon tire motorcycles and stuff but um for me the character like cuz cuz Bruce Wayne is sort of a James Bond in a sense you know he's he's got to be suave and de- debonair and he's got to have you know he's got to have that sort of there's no way he could be Batman kind of persona right mm. um i mean adam west didn't quite pull that off either but but even you know adam west was was a decent guy as as Bruce Wayne you know a philanthropist and all that kind of stuff but um, that, that for me is, is the thing that, you know, and you think of a number of people who could play that role, but, uh, you know, Ben, Ben Affleck isn't one of them for me, but still, I liked him as a, a Batman, I wanted to give him a chance, but, um, you know, Val Kilmer, no, George Clooney, maybe, you know, but yeah, Michael Keaton was cool, you know, and, uh, and, um, and Christian Bale was too, right? But who yeah. else could you see as Batman? What do you think, Jaime? Batman! Batman! Who
3: could I see as Batman? Um... That's a good question. I'll have to, to to think about that one for a little bit. As far as Ben Affleck goes, I think he was, you know, serviceable as Batman. Um, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just trying to think of his portrayal itself. In terms of who could be a Batman? Is there a modern... So, so they said they're going to go for like a younger Batman, right? So that sort of shifts the tone a little bit where um, Dark Knight returns. Sorry, Dark Knight Rises, rather. Um, Bale is like older man. And then uh, this uh, recent iteration of Ben Affleck kind of old... Older man, uh, sort of portrayals of like, just like Danny Glover, the getting too old for this, right? Yeah, um, I'd have the to sit and think Superman, about who would play that.
1: Hmm? The guy who plays Superman, now what's his name? Um, well, the Mission Impossible movie, um, who plays Cavill, Superman? I
3: forget his first name,
1: Henry.
2: Yeah, Henry Henry. Henry, Henry, Henry I mean, he's
1: he's the kind of guy that I could see playing Bruce Wayne, right? you know what i mean like, yeah well, i mean, he's, even, even more I mean, so than than playing clark kent right if,
2: if they were going for older
1: it's john ham right oh yeah yeah, mm, for sure. mm, yeah, yeah, like, yeah
2: there is no more bruce wayne like that guy is the living epitome of bruce wayne he needs to get a little more right. buff but i mean right he's got that i'm cool without t- trying hard you know thing down perfectly exactly yeah yeah the only other person that that uh, popped into my mind was um and he's a little bit older he's in his late 20s was was uh, nicholas holt um who was beast in the last few x-men movies and he was the the um he had that great role in Mad Max right he was the you know mm-hmm. the shiny you know guy sprays his teeth and joins the gang um yeah he he I think could be really cool as that character too but
4: mm-hmm.
2: but I don't know how young young is when they say young because I don't know if he's 28 or 29 I don't think that would cut it if they're going for young young right yeah. right interesting all right uh next up we've got the first teaser trailer for the new birds of prey film dropped the other day uh very weird very short Short um, doesn't even say "Birds of Prey" on it. It just uh, it's got a smash clip of all these different characters just sort of posing. Mostly focused around uh, Harley Quinn, who's obviously going to be the star of the show. She stole the show in the Suicide Squad movie, so she's getting this spun out. Um, same maybe, actress, yeah. Same actress, yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look uh, watch the trailer, but it's uh, it's thirty seconds long, maybe mm-hmm. thirty five seconds long. It's really really quick um just yeah just the sort of you know fast pace thing coming at you and uh it's hard to make a lot out of it i've seen some dissections that people have done where they've slowed it down frame by frame and identified different you know characters and stuff like that Hmm. but uh you know again it'll be interesting to see i think that suicide squad movie was obviously a lot more style over substance um you know there wasn't a lot of there there but it was kind of cool to look at um i i'm i'm a little bit nervous about this for that, uh, but I like that they're doing a female-centric movie. Birds of Prey, the comic book, was always one of my favorites, um, so I'm, I'm keen to see what they do with that.
1: Do you, what do you guys think of uh, if you have to see this? Yeah, I watched it br- really briefly, but you're, you're right. It's just I only saw it was Harley Quinn. I didn't really see anybody else in there. Yeah, I
3: also saw it as well. I'll take a look at the the title. The official title is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, It seems like they're going to lean more into the comedy side. I know that Suicide Squad suffered from being like sort of redone after the fact, where they had it dark and gritty, and then they saw Gardens of the Galaxy and say, oh, that's really popular. Maybe we should do that, too. Um, I have more hope that if they start with a premise of have it be kind of more lighthearted, it will fit together better. But um, I don't know. I, I think I enjoyed the the take on Harley Quinn, uh, Margot Robbie or Robbie. I'm not sure her last name. Robbie. Yeah. Yep. Um, she seemed to to fit into the role pretty well for that that uh, more modern style of Harley Quinn. So you know, I think I'll give it a chance, especially after we discussed last week about um, you know I hadn't seen Aquaman, but it seems kind of more. Uh, a little bit lighthearted and fun. And certainly the the um, Shazam movie seems like it will be as well. Yeah. It's a new era for DC movies. They're not dreary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it remains to be seen. Uh, uh,
2: next up, we've got, uh, some news. So Zombieland, we talked about, uh, as our, in our, uh, preview of movies that they're coming out, uh, this year, uh, Zombieland has got an official title. Zombieland two, that is, has got an official title. It's Zombieland double tap. And, uh, uh, in addition to the return of all the previous cast, uh, we are also getting news this week that Rosario Dawson is going to be one of the uh, members of the cast. Uh, I would watch her read the phone book. She's amazing. She's one of my favorite actresses. So I would. Uh, I was already in for Zombieland. I thought it was a very very fun look at the uh, the sort of horror survival genre film. Um, and adding her is just uh, the cherry on the on a beautiful Sunday. So uh, really good news across the board there.
1: And it's been ten years since the first one.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, it, they, they had talked after the six. The other one was sort of a surprise. Uh, it, it wasn't, I don't think, a hit at the time. It, I think it did okay, but it really got a lot of traction once it sort of made it into the... Uh, it was sort of perfect timing as it sort of entered into the, the streaming universe and people being able to watch right, things yeah, over and over yeah. again. It really gained legs there. And they talked about doing it for a long time, but uh, a lot of the people in it sort of went on to become bigger and more famous very quickly. And uh, so it, it became harder and harder for them to uh come back and and bring everybody back and and i think it was it was like incredibles too i think they wanted to do it right they didn't want to just rush out and do uh the same thing over again i think they wanted to wait till they had the right story but i mean think about that movie so this is 10 uh 10 years ago right so 10 years uh, 2009 it came out emma stone pre uh pre you know winning an Oscar woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, who again at that point just blew up, went on to do uh the social network and and a bunch of other great stuff Abigail Breslin, obviously you know uh we got a great cameo we got Bill Murray, so you know even just the, that that was the four primary cast members was emma stone Harry, uh, Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg and emma, Abigail Breslin um they all had some pretty good gigs after this, you know, multiple Oscar nominees in there, you know uh a lot of award film stuff they've had a busy 10 years so i imagine getting them on board for this uh, it took probably took 10 years of logistics
1: oh, cool yeah i saw the 10-year the, the, the challenge that's why i sort of realized it was been 10 years yeah <laughs> time flies uh
2: next up we've got uh some excellent news from the twitterverse so uh john favreau if you guys aren't following him on twitter is a fun follow So he's working on The Mandalorian, which is the uh, first Star Wars series that's been uh, confirmed for the Disney Plus app. Uh, The other day he had uh, Star Wars fans in a tizzy because he tweeted out a picture of a classic uh, character from 1977 Star Wars Mm -hmm. uh, that was... Uh, someone I don't think anyone could have ever predicted would, in some way, days. He hasn't said who, so. For spoilers, you don't want to know anything about the series going in. Is your three, two, one? Here we go. Uh, R five D four, the droid. Hello, and this one's got a bad motivator. That's right, the one with the bad motivator. Uh, who in an alternate universe becomes uh, Luke's sidekick and uh, and changes the course of Star Wars history? Uh, as apparently, uh, maybe has a little cameo, maybe a little role. Who knows? In, in uh, the Mandalorian, so there's, he just tweeted out this photo, and uh, and everyone is speculating what could this mean? Does this mean he's a character? Is it a cameo? Is it just a backdrop? Is, a, is he a background character? What's going on? So, uh, drinks. Yeah. Is this this whole thing has all just been a plan for Jon Favreau to have a redemption story for the bad motivator? <laughs> does does this one take place prior or subsequent to a new hope i i don't think they've made that clear i don't i don't get the impression they've made that clear
3: okay okay so it, it either is here are the adventures that that led to him uh uh getting too old for this stuff or <laughs> or it's the the happier story of like oh you know they just they just put a new battery pack in this yeah. iphone here <laughs> as a renewed vigor in life oh did you need um, a new motivator here you go right <laughs> so
2: yeah cool. cool cool to see that, that again you know i like i like you know i don't need to be bashed over the head with nostalgia. some franchises take it far too far um but you know hopefully there's some taste so we'll see uh and our last bit of news for this week uh it has been confirmed and i just i honestly I, we talked about this last week during the spockies i know some people are looking forward to this i don't want to jump down people's throats but they've already confirmed that they're going to make a sequel to detective pikachu the pokemon live action slash CGI movie that is coming out this year. Uh, words fail me. I, I truly don't even know what to say about this. But I don't even know what that is. Detective Pikachu is the, uh, it's Pikachu is the uh, sort of most famous of the Pokemon. Uh, he is, uh, he, she, it, the, uh, I don't know what the proper pronoun is. For yeah, I'm Pikachu. not sure if
3: Pikachu has a determined gender. I'm going to assume male, <laughs> just based on the way they refer to the character in the um, American in the tra- translation, oh, oh, but I don't know what the yeah. original Japanese does
2: well we'll say it Uh, pikachu uh is a wildly popular character one of the most iconic of this uh series of video games and the detective pikachu thing has been a video game uh thing for a while and so ryan reynolds will be voicing the voice of detective pikachu in this new movie uh the trailer was one of the weirdest most uh bat poop crazy things i've ever seen Um, (laughs) i can't believe that it's a thing and uh as we discussed last week someone actually voted it into our uh, most anticipated movie of 2019 in our spocky awards did they uh, whoever that is I think really right in right really needs to identify themselves to us please <laughs> send us a <laughs> hit us on twitter
3: hashtag uh,
2: we'd, we'd love to talk Spockcast to you about this or... this is this is a fascinating development that we really need to talk about with you so uh hit us up at uh, at Spockcast on twitter we'd, we'd love to hear from you uh but yes apparently this person's not alone because they've already greenlit a sequel so and this movie has hmm.
1: is not coming out for months so well, we can't find out who it was, but, you know, we'll leave it at that.
3: Mwa-ha-ha. <laughs> I feel like this movie, uh, I mean, of course, you know, it exists because the Pokemon company makes boatloads of cash off of the Pokemon franchise. But I also feel like it sort of exists purely to have the inevitable YouTube video mashups between this character and the Deadpool. Like, I can just see people pulling Deadpool quote, pull quotes <laughs> of the same actor, Ryan Reynolds, voice acting the, uh, the Pikachu. Yeah. And vice versa.
2: Yeah, that's really what it's going to be about is just the mean factory going into overdrive <laughs>
4: right mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yep all right well that brings us to the main part of the show the reason why we're here and that is to talk about the orville no to talk about <laughs> star trek discovery so this is the spoiler part of the show yes you will be disappointed if you haven't watched the show already so go watch the show pause the podcast we'll wait all right, now you're back. Um, okay, so I, I see I put some notes up here. John, looks like you put lots of notes up here. Yeah,
2: I might have I might have
1: so taken some notes in the last going yeah. overboard. Yeah, okay yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so why don't we do that? Why don't we uh, Why don't we talk about this last episode called New Eden, which was uh, broadcast last Thursday on the Space Channel or CBS All Access if you're in the states. So yeah, you threw in a whole bunch of notes in there. Why don't you give it to us, John?
2: All right. Uh, so I'll I'll give you a little. Little, little synopsis and, uh, and and we can uh, we can discuss so uh the uh, yes new eden uh directed by jonathan frakes make its own number one uh, so obviously had a cool little, another little uh, return to uh, the franchise from one of uh, its most celebrated uh, actors slash directors. Um, so we kick off the episode with uh, um, Michael Burnham sharing what he's learned, uh, what she's learned about uh, Spock from reading his logs at the end of the first episode. Uh, then we get the news from Pike that actually he does know where Spock is, which was the big sort of mystery uh, at the end of the first episode. Uh, we find out that Spock has had himself committed uh because uh he is having these visions of the uh lights in the sky that we identified in the first episode, the big mystery for this season, the uh, the angels and the and the mysterious flashes across the galaxy. Um, we get uh, news that one of the signals is coming from the beta quadrant, which would be 150 years travel at maximum warp. But hey, we've got a spore drive, even though we're not supposed to use the spore drive, even though we got through a whole thing last season about how they decommissioned the spore drive and we're not supposed to use Stamets because that's immoral. And then mm-hmm. they plug Stamets into the spore drive and they use it and they jump to that planet. Uh, So we get to see the cool spin around, spinorama effect of the disco as it jumps from place to place, jumps 150 light years, 150 years travel away into the beta quadrant and uh, lands right outside of a class M world uh, where they hear a distress call. And it is, turns out that there is 11,000 people, uh, human beings living on this planet. Uh, Very cool little discovery uh, that they were actually, uh, survivors of World War III in the year 2053, and that the angel, which is what Michael Burnham saw uh, towards the end of the first episode, delivered the church to this place, which they call Terilicium. Uh, When they got there, they were inside of a church. They decided that they would uh, combine their uh, religions into the one overall religion. So they worshipped this sort of combined uh, Christianity, uh, Buddhism, uh, Muslim jewish uh i think they say shinto as well uh religion that sort of all worships they live in this um sort of pre-warp society you know we we would sort of consider sort of pioneer-ish but i guess they have electricity so maybe early 20th century maybe um so uh, while this is all going on on the planet, they send down an away team: uh, Pike and uh, Burnham, and I can't—I I forgot to—I was going to look up O-O-S-S-G-Win. the name.
1: What's her name? OS Oeskuin, or Oo Oco as as Tilly calls her. Oco. She grew up in a Luddite community, which is why they take her down because she would be familiar with the kind of things. Yes. So
2: they go down to this planet and and do an away mission. Meanwhile, Tilly decides to have this excellent plan to get a piece of the asteroid that they collected in the last episode and uh, to take a piece off of it to try and build a dark matter interface for the spore drive so that Stamets doesn't have to hook himself up and go through the sort of uh, trauma of having to be hooked up to this uh, spore drive where apparently he's been having visions of his late uh, husband. And so while doing that Tilly gets blasted across the hangar bay and uh, wakes up in the medical bay and uh, Uh, She's having a problem trying to figure out, you know, what she's going to do as they discover that the planet is actually um, surrounded by these mysterious rings that are releasing radiation and that could kill everybody. Um, Tilly starts doing the problem solving thing. She starts sort of going a little little nutty and uh she comes up with the plan to use the asteroid to draw the radiation away uh they have a cool scene where they do donuts around the planet and they uh use they slingshot the uh asteroid out there it draws away all the radiation very cool uh meanwhile on the planet uh they encounter a local who uh seems pretty wise to the fact that perhaps burnham and and pike and the away team are uh are not necessarily locals they're they're not from the that, the North as they claim to be um, and confronts them and figures out who they are. Uh, at one point, one of the locals powers up a phaser and Pike jumps on it to try and not to uh, have her detonate it and ends up saving the girl and ends up having to be... Uh, they sneak him into the church where they get beamed up, uh, so, they end up going back to the planet and uh, reconnecting with this guy and uh, telling him the truth. But they also uh, acquire this helmet that has video footage of the day that they were transported to the planet and shows this mysterious vision of the angel who saved them. And so, we actually get to see this same vision, but actually recorded, of what uh, Burnham saw at the end of the episode. And the mystery continues. But now, we know that she wasn't hallucinating that this thing is real. Uh, Meanwhile, Tilly uh, who had had a little help in motivating herself and solving the problem of what to do and using the asteroid method to disperse the radiation uh, had a little help from somebody named May who was working in the medical bay uh, maybe is having some hallucinations because when she goes to look up who this person on the ship was, it turns out that not only do they not uh, work on the ship, they do not exist and actually was somebody she knew who died years and years ago. So we get some answers and we get even more mysteries and we get two episodes in and we still haven't seen Spock.
1: It's that mycelial, mycelial network at work again. You remember last year she had that blue thing land on her shoulder and we kind of wondered about that. So maybe yeah. it's part of that sort of plugging her into the, the network kind of stuff. A couple of things that they talked about here that you kind of missed over was, was the fact that they talked about uh, because it's a pre-warp society, General Order 1 applies. Oh, yeah. Which is going to become the what do we call it? Uh, oh, I forgot what you call it in original Star Trek Prime, right? the Prime, Prime Directive. Prime yeah. Directive, yeah, And they also mention Clark's Third Law, where you know, which which is Arthur C. Clarke uh, is famous for saying, any technology significantly advanced is an indistinguishable from magic. But uh, Pike points out that it was uh, been updated to say any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial in- intelligence is indistinguishable from God, which is kind of what drives that whole thing. The other, fa- the other. Th- Thing that uh, that they said in this show, and I'm kind of wondering now that I'm going to say it, if it's been set in other said in other other uh, Star Treks, but they actually said set your phasers to stun in this mm-hmm, show, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a good thing because Christopher Pike supplies, <laughs> survives landing on the on the phaser; otherwise, he'd be he'd be disintegrated, as he, as we all know from mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, another thing too is that Detmer, who's the one who has has to do the the maneuver where she has to make it drive a donut to collect all this uh, the material from the the rings of the this planet um tells pike when she when he asks her if, he, if she can handle it she says i've had my pilot's license since i was 12 sir yeah so yeah That's a great line yeah, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and of course, you know, I think it was Saru who said that you have yeah. two minutes and 11 seconds to stamets when you had to run to the yeah. to jump in, do, do the second jump that they had to do today. Yeah, so yeah, interesting. And we didn't see uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lieutenant Ariam, which we talked about, had quite a number of lines in the show, and I didn't see uh, Sarah Middich anywhere on the on the deck. I looked, I watched it again today just to see if, if she was like tucked in the corner somewhere, but uh, hmm so i guess he's been fired from wearing a, a goofy mask so, and they also i think at the end of the, at the end of it he he trades i don't know if you said, talked about giving him the, the the battery that would last them like 30 years or something like that oh yeah power that, that the powers the whole planet. community up for them yeah yeah and fires up their lantern again which is what the the miracle of the angels right yeah yeah so what do you think Jaime? i liked it i think it felt
3: very like the story felt like a sort of traditional trek episode um mixed with a little bit of new for the style that discovery does a little bit you know more action heavy right. um, I, I think i'm not surprised that the direction is very trek like given that you know jonathan Frakes not only, uh appeared as you know a starring role in star trek the next generation but also directed many of the or i don't know about many but at least some of those episodes and many subsequent star trek episodes uh for other series and a
1: film oh that's right? Was a it film? insurrection? I believe you did insurrection. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It was very, int- very typical of a sort of star Trek, you know, away mission kind of story. And I don't know if you saw some of the parallels between using the magnet to op- unlock the, 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 cellar door that they get locked in the cellar at one point. And then a few minutes later, we see the same uh, thing with Tilly using the asteroid chunk to uh, magnetically pull the, because the, uh, it was an extinction level event. This, this the rings were going to destroy the, the world in like 60 minutes or something like that. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. This, you know, I think, uh, Jaime and Neil, I think this is a very Trek episode. It's probably the most Trek discovery episode we've seen so far. I felt very grounded in the world that we know of Star Trek. Um, and it come right down to the science versus religion, uh, sort of not so veiled um, storyline that's going in there where, you know, these people are very devout and that their faith is very important to them. Um, and of course, you know, Burnham sort of at one point says something about, you know, what if I worship science, um, it, which is a very Trek. Uh, a motif. So, yeah, it was it was a very, uh, you know, it was very satisfying in that way. It felt very comfortable. This was sort of a very much a comfort food episode. I felt very um, not threatened. It didn't feel like we had talked about how it, how sort of the galacticization of, of Star Trek. This felt much more sort of grounded in in uh, established Trek. Um, but yeah, good. It was 40-minute like, 40,
1: 40 solution that, that Jaime was talking about last week, right? Yeah, but still
2: built on the mystery. Like, I still feel like it was weaving together an over Overall narrative. There were some good little sort of things that connected through lines from the first episode and through lines to where the season overall arc is going. Um, we got a little more definition on some of the characters and the dynamics. Um, it was cool to see, you know, Pike uh, on, on the mission with them and sort of, you know, get to know him a little bit better. Um, and I'm liking, I mean, again, you know, it's, it's, his contract's, uh, contrast is against Lorca, who we established last season was a jackass. Um, to go from him being, you know, and it, it, he was that before we knew that he was who he was on the, in the first season. Um, he was still pretty sort of gruff and, you know, to see, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, Anson Mount's playing. He's got this, you know, he's very charming. He's got that sort of wry smile and the twinkle in his eye. He's got a little bit of a, a William Shatner vibe to him. Um, yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, Not quite as campy. But he could be Batman. <laughs> he could be Batman if they were going a little older again. But um, but yeah, he's got this sort of uh, joyfulness to it that's bringing a lightness to the the, a, light, a light touch to this. He's got this yeah. sort of energy to him that I, that's really enjoyable, and he plays well off of the other actors. I, I feel like he's really sort of uh, there's a good connection there. I'm, I'm liking him so far.
1: Yeah, He's really really opposite character portrayal from Hell on Wheels too, which is which is kind of interesting if you if you're familiar with that show. He's you know he's sort of the central character of that show, but he's he's a you know a grumpy gunslinger type guy. You know, sort of a cleanest wood kind of character with, you know, unshaven and, you know, uh, bad clothing and bad breath, probably. But, uh, you know, so completely different, op- opposite character. It's sort of, it's interesting to look at him and realize it's the same actor, you know? Yeah. Yeah yeah because he's sort of doing that bruce uh what's his name um from the new the the um jj abrams um pike characterization bruce greenwood, greenwood? Bruce yeah. greenwood? yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I, so jaime
3: is uh is tilly losing our marbles what's up you know that's it's an interesting one so uh, a note i have here for myself is um we have already seen established that um culver the uh the husband of stamets uh, stamets saw him inside of the mycelial network um and way at the tail end of of the first ep- oh, sorry, the last episode of last season there was this little green dot this like spore that yeah, ended up entering yeah. tilly um like like tinkerbell like going right into her shoulder sort of thing and it makes me wonder if that green spore plus the like hey this dark matter asteroid causes the spores to act wild i wonder if that is what's causing the um what is there was the character's name may may, may. Turn yeah to appear like it, it may not be a uh hallucination it, very well could be, but it
1: could also be a like there's this echo uh, of, of that person in the network. Yeah, it's me, ahern And actually, Stamets does tell. He tells. Uh, um, I'm telling Jonathan, who's the writer, that he tells Tilly early in the episode that he saw his partner in the network. Even though we don't, you know, I think he flashes back on it, but we don't actually. He doesn't actually see him in this one. So other than the fact that he's pretty freaked out after the first time he does the uh, the jump, right? He just doesn't want to talk about it and walks away from her. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. So we, we kind of want. Wonder, are we supposed to imagine he saw something in in the stream as well? Plus, doesn't this t- sort of tie into the short Treks in a sense? Because she had that whole uh, interchange with that one uh, woman leader person. Wasn't that? Didn't that take place in the medical bay as well? Mm-hmm. No, that was bay the rescued? cafeteria. Oh, cafeteria. Oh, okay, right remember,
2: right. remember? she sets off the, uh, the the food replicators and they start firing food across the room.
1: Right. 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 Yeah.
2: yeah. But yeah, it was, it, there was a little. Re- it was a little reminiscent of that. There was a little bit of a you know. I mean, Tilly's a, a very unusual character again i think she's delightful i i I absolutely i think uh i think she's just just an absolute delight and i can't get enough of watching her on screen um but um but her interactions with everybody are a little off um so it was weird to see her playing off someone who clearly was also a little um unusual Uh, may sort of presents herself as sort of you know grinning and a little a little childlike um so interesting to see those two characters sort of playing off each other
1: But but if she's a manifestation of her mind then that would make sense that she would be that type of person, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. or it could just be as she remembers her from being a, a girl, right?
1: But it's also that vehicle, you know, when somebody somebody gets knocked unconscious or they're in a coma or something, and, and they say to themselves, wake up, wake up, wake up, you kind it's, of thing. And it's that's happy. It's kind of sort of how... It's happy. Hmm? Happy, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> same sort of, Same sort of. you know, you see that in so many movies. Like, even, even Trinity says it in, in the beginning of uh, The Matrix. She says, get up, Trinity, get up. you know, like to yeah. herself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as if she's observing herself as a third person. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think the, the little Mycenaeal spore that landed on her shoulder from last season is, is part of this this uh, apparition or new, new connection she's got going. All right, you're both on the record. We'll find out. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: that's, what I, that's what I think here. Um, a, a couple other things that I, I noted down, uh, more of a trivia note on this one, the type of beam that Tilly is using to try to extract some of the ore from the asteroid, she calls it a Metreon beam. Uh, and I said, huh, that sounds familiar. So I, I looked it up and as far as I know, it is uh, not something that actually exists Uh unlike like Baryons, I think might, might actually exist. Um, but the Metreon was what I remember Neelix from Voyager saying that the Metreon cascade was this like weapon of mass destruction that was used against his people. And that's how they ended up losing a war.
1: Hmm. It's also the name of a mall on uh, fourth Avenue in San Francisco.
3: <laughs> I also saw that on the Google search. It's like, Oh, that's right. Near, near the Moscone. <laughs> We're I- <laughs> developer conference used to be for many years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're all familiar with metreon Um
3: I guess another thing I was kind of curious about, you know, just given the whole sort of uh angelic and semi-religious overtones and themes that have been going on in this season. I wonder um how intentional the naming of the character Jacob, the um the person on elysium in New Eden, who seems to me like his name Jacob, you know, in the Bible, the, the story that I remember the most for that character is Jacob wrestling the angel and not giving up until the angel gives him a blessing, which you could kind of look at as like, he is just this normal peon person. And here are these gods who have come down and they, you know, he doesn't give up. I mean, he even captures them, right. You could call that the wrestling part. And then at the very end, they give him the blessing in the form of that battery. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're, that that just seems like too much of a coincidence to not be an intentional theme um, in world building that they're going for.
1: Yeah. I mean, his whole, his whole, he said his whole ancestry was guarding the guardians of this, this uh, beacon, right, and and that his whole side of the family believed that there was there was tech and that the earth earth had not been destroyed and so on and so forth. You know, and and yeah. the three people coming here were manifestations of proof that that he re- he recognized them as being possibly from an off world uh, as opposed to being from the north where the right. wall is. Yeah. And All right.
3: The the other note I have is to ask uh, each of uh, of you, and I'll even answer the question myself: is to whether you think that general, uh, sorry, what is it, prime directive or general order one? Is that the yeah. Yeah, general or, one, yeah do you agree with um with pike's decision that yes this applies because there's definitely been a lot of uh chatter on the twitterverse and on reddit about like people for and people against uh, the idea
1: yeah it's interesting i mean the it, they, these people are pre-warped they're like us now right like they wouldn't their brains wouldn't be able to handle transporters and and things like that like you know it would be indistinguishable from magic which is why they, they bring up i don't know why it's uh, clark's third law because it's the only law i know by clark but um yeah um arthur c clark that is uh I, I think i think it does apply i always you know it used to always piss me off when they they pu- pulled out the prime directive back in the day like what you just tell people what's going on you know kind of thing but but i could see how it would it would um you know their their, their brain space may not have enough capacity to, to fit in this kind of new thought right it would be so different so such a departure from their normal understanding of what life is and all that kind of stuff right so and what's possible in science and things
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you so you think it it was correct that he it, it does apply uh so i'll put you on that one um what about you jonathan what do you think
2: i you know it's a, it's a good question it's 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 interesting to think about I, I think that in this case uh i don't know that i would have applied it because general order one i think was or, or the prime directive was about non-interference with uh a species that aren't developed, but we've already established these are essentially displaced human beings. I don't think it would be a violation to repatriate human beings that were absconded from their world even if it was hundreds of years ago and these are the descendants. you're still you're still bringing human beings back to where humanity is. I don't think that that necessarily would be my view that it would be an interference because it's true they have their own society that's evolved in a certain way, but for me they're still human beings. Who, who were displaced. We have yet to establish whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, but they were still displaced human beings. And therefore you could make the argument that they are not interfering with the society. They are rescuing human beings.
1: That's true. But, but they are from the 21st century. I mean, like in a, in no, a century are, when we I, could barely create a, a Roomba properly, but right?
2: they are not from the 21st century. They're, they're, uh, their oh, right families ancestors. their ancestors were from then these people ha- are just the descendants of those people so i i question whether again i think what you're looking at is is essentially a bunch of human beings who were lost in space uh who you know yes they've evolved their own sort yeah. of culture but they're still human beings who were deemed 150 uh you know light years away Yeah, light yeah. years away from wherever it was they started from and that's not even where earth was right like they, they you know an incalculable amount of space away there um again i i'd have to say no i don't i don't think it's a violation of general order number one or the prime directive to interfere um with them because they're human beings
1: well it's true i mean from that perspective like they i, I kind of wonder why you know it's kind of cut and dry it's kind of a black and white thing here because burnham wanted to rescue them and that's kind of sort of what you would see this they're, they're kind of castaways right and and you always think that if somebody's cast away from society you you want to go and scoop them up and bring them back and put a warm towel around their shoulders and you know give them a you know some timber. Tim Horton's soup or something, you know, um, and then tell them what's what's been going on while they've been gone. But but 1,100 people, that's, you know, I, I would think that, you know, normally they would go back and call home and say, hey, what should we do with these people, right? But I guess they're 150 years away. They can't even get a message back, right?
2: Yeah, well, and again, it's it's 11,000 people, right? So 11,000 people. it's a lot of people.
1: I, I didn't get that I didn't get that impression from the show, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they don't do a great job. They show you a little bit of a taste of maybe how they live, where it seems like they've got, But some slightly like, again, it seemed like early 20th century, it seemed like there was sort of some developments, but it certainly was nothing, you know, second half of the 20th century and and certainly not 21st century technology. Um, So you could make another case that's humanitarian to save these people because, you know, you could be helping them and they are human beings who would have a right to the development of human beings over the last three centuries where you could help them with medical you could help them with science te- and technology and again, i think again i feel like if if it was an alien species i think absolutely you, you you're not entitled to interfere with them um but because they're human beings again essentially they're they're refugees the descendants of refugees um who were taken from earth whether in a, a benign or act or in an actual purposeful rescue um i, I just feel like it probably to me it seems like you could make a, a really good case for this being not, not applicable for general
3: order. Number one.
2: Mm-hmm, what do
3: you think? Jaime? Yeah, it, it, that's a, that's a funny one because, um, I think it's a very tricky problem and I do appreciate that. Um, that the show, I, I don't think it, the show gave us like a definitive answer either way, which is, which is kind of good. If it kind of is up to your own interpretation. When I was watching the show, like during the 60, 60 ish minute episode, I felt right then my gut said, no, no, no no they're humans this doesn't apply at all and then after the show probably the next day i said well maybe it does uh, and it became down to question of do i view it more as these people are like you know like people who are kidnapped or and abducted sort of but that would apply more you know if it was like oh the people who were actually taken um not their descendants but the people themselves who were actually taken yeah you find them you bring them back um no problem there but their descendants, that's their way of life. And it struck me as being more analogous to, um, I don't know, this happened a little bit before the holiday break. There was an individual who um, was trying to uh, do a mission of some sort on this um, island of folks who have been completely cut off from oh, the rest yeah. of the world. And and he died, right? But it, even if he didn't, uh, he'd be in trouble because it was illegal to, to contact those folks, right? So yeah, there was a he, he was an evangelist, right? He was, he was going
2: to evangelize these people. That was his goal right he was trying to bring religion to this island of people who were
3: notoriously um xenophobic right and and so i i think after the episode i'm thinking yeah it's it's kind of more like this is their way of life and we we shouldn't mess with it uh just because of you know how long of a time it's been it, it's not the actual people who were abducted it's not even their immediate descendants where you know okay maybe they, they sort of live in both worlds these are these are people who are cut off from the rest of society it's, it's similar to those um that island of folks i'm talking about but i have to say it wasn't it wasn't easy because it, i could be convinced either way. So um, I'm going to break the tiebreaker and say, I do think that the uh, General Order 1 Prime Directive does apply in this case, but I totally understand if you're shaking your fists at the <laughs> stereo right now. and <laughs> like, no, no, no. Uh, I disagree.
1: No, my, I, um, I, I agree. Yeah, I think
2: you could debate it. I think it's a good debate. It's, it's certainly interesting to look at it from a, a bunch of different angles.
1: I was going to say, though, it's a typical plot line where if, if the planet is going to be destroyed, they would just scoop up everybody and take them with them, right?
2: Yeah. Although we establish all the reasons why they can't just do that, right? Right? like that's right, yeah you know yeah. yeah quick follow-up question to is uh, we established that jacob is uh, uh hereditarily his family takes care of this beacon right that the they're the ones sending this message out there so his family sort of uh, has followed this path they've carried on this tradition does he tell his children about the truth
1: mm. yes i think he does yeah I, I think he passes it down as like hey look don't
3: don't tell your friends at school okay don't don't tell the all mother yeah. like here's yeah. this thing that actually happened and maybe when they're old enough you know show them like hey, here's how you take care of any you need to have your children pass this along yeah uh, but wait until our society is ready uh to accommodate this sort of change yeah
2: hey speaking of science versus religion as a theme for a science fiction show mm-hmm. uh how about this week's orville episode where we also had uh basically people who worship uh the stars versus people who worship science um this week's episode all the worlds is birthday cake uh was basically a uh Again, it felt like a very familiar Star Trek plot line. Um first contact, they go to this planet, Rigor mm-hmm. two, they discover that the there's some unusual practices going around uh the hospital, they're performing c sections on uh women to give uh to have babies that don't seem necessary in the doctor's opinion. Turns mm-hmm. out that the planet is governed by astrology. Uh they find out that Kelly, uh the first officer and Bortis, the security uh, Boris Bortis, um uh are they find out when their birthdays are and determine that these ones are the unlucky sign. They are Jeliacs, and they throw them in the prison camp. There's a huge kerfuffle. What are we going to do? How are we going to save them? It was very Retro Trek. And uh, in the end, of course, they come up with a suitably Star Trek solution. They science it, and they create a fake star where their unlucky star sign had been and fool the Rigorians into thinking that that's what it is. And Kelly, Kelly Bordis and all the other Jeliac people who who we see living in essentially prison camps for being born under a bad sign, are free. Uh, pretty standard stuff. Any strong impressions of this
3: one? I think it's striking how it is sort of the polar opposite of what we just discussed for Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's not like, you know, it's not like, okay, well, you know, he had the last season of Discovery. We mentioned that uh, last week's episode of The Orville was like, oh, that's... Um, it's like choose your pain, the Ash Tyler vogue sort of uh, dichotomy. But in this case, it's really weird that the fifth episode of the season matches up with Discovery's second episode of like, hey, really similar situation. Here's this religious theme. Um, we know that Discovery went on the like very light touch sort of way. In this case, um, <laughs> the Orville crew said, screw that. Just lie to them. We'll yeah. probably be dead. <laughs> what yeah. do I care? My, my descendants can deal with the fallout of this. <laughs> That's
2: tomorrow. Moro's problem. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, and- I, I mean, I think it was a, an okay episode. I don't really have like, um, like I'll, uh, go rewatch this one, nor am I going to hate it sort of thing. Um, it, it has some, some nicer moments between, um, you know, you know surrounding, um, Bordas and, and, Kelly. Uh, it, it is notable for having the new Chilean security chief, uh, mm-hmm. Tala. Um, I'm guessing that was just like out of convenience. They probably already had a whole bunch of storylines that are like, Hey, we need a Chilean to do this. Oops. Uh, the actress who plays Alara is leaving, so let's just give him a new one. And then they wrote in, you know, a five-minute segment of like, "All right, here's the excuse why why Worf <laughs> is back on the Enterprise." This
2: would be War. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we also had these wigs and the uh, funny ears lying around so we thought we'd just glue them onto the next person who came into the room yeah, that,
1: <laughs> yeah i think that was a, that was you know i don't know I again i question why they had to go with the same race you know yeah i mean other than convenience but like it's not like we it's not like we're really in love with that particular character i mean we did like the actress and we did like the the role but it's early enough in the series that they could have just gone to another another uh, race as well
2: well we we still don't know what the circumstances are about her departure halston sage's departure from the show either so so maybe there's a uh, you know maybe they didn't have as much time to plan as they thought they would or uh, you, you never know right yeah that's
1: true that's true yeah I mean but you know it was, it was kind of interesting interesting I thought they were gonna go with uh, these people were born no I guess they weren't they weren't like um, you know old plot line where you know oh you were actually you were born through natural childbirth I thought that was what why they were gonna throw these guys in in the jail yeah that would have like been like the most Trek thing to do yeah exactly exactly because I mean there was a time when like you know when when i was born and when your mother was born we you know women it, 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 pregnancy was an illness and it was treated like that and and uh you know we were born with forceps and and that kind of stuff because you know I, I don't know how women could possibly push out a baby on their own you know kind of mm-hmm. thing right yeah and uh so it was treated like like a like a, a surgical procedure when, you know for the last you know how many million years of earth people been around um, they didn't have to do that, but you know, we went through that whole thing in the '50s, '60s, and who knows how far back. Where that's how pregnancy was treated, right? Yep. Yeah. Anywho, all right. Um, Should we move on to the watch list? Or yes, okay, sure. All right, let's move on to the watch. Well, I got a bunch of real quick hits here. Um, I've been watching Project Blue Book. It's a it's a new series. Um, I think it's on. I forget what network it's on, but it stars the History Littlefinger, Little finger from uh, from Game of Thrones uh, actor. I forgot his name now, um, but he. He's, uh, he plays a scientist in it, and it, it, it's sort of a cross between Area Fifty-One, The X Files, and uh, you know the space race back in the '60s. So it takes place back in the back in the day, and there's some Russian spying going on and that kind of stuff. And it's it's an interesting interesting story. Yeah. Um, another surprise I, I I didn't even know this movie I, maybe I knew about this movie but I'd forgotten about it but a movie called Morgan which is very similar to the uh, you know the sort of AI um, um, splice it was called splice the one with um, you know, where they they make the manufacturer a new life form of human based uh, based on humans um, this one is uh, sort of an Android thing and it was it was sort of a you know typical big bucket of popcorn kind of movie but uh, along the sci-fi lines of of creating a new type of of Slash android slash human clone kind of thing. Um, and of course, you know, things go horribly wrong and, um, but it was actually, it was, it was I, I taped it, and, or taped it, but I recorded it and, and sat back and watched it. And it was actually a surprise at how good it was, actually, as a movie. Um, and The Boys. I don't know why The Boys is coming, but I can't remember why I picked this. It looked like an interesting preview.
2: Oh, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's one of my favorite comic books, actually. Um, uh, the Boys was a, a really interesting look at uh, what would happen if you lived in a world where the superheroes were, were you know... Uh, bad? Well, not bad, but just badly behaved. How would you oh. go? Govern badly behaved superheroes. They are superheroes. They do save people, but they also do uh, very immoral and uh, and, and uh, questionably behaved things. So this group of uh, sort of British lads called the Boys get together, and they basically uh, police these superheroes.
4: Uh, There's oh, right.
2: this this sort of pack of hooligans, British hooligans that uh, that that sort of take care of the uh, the misdoings of uh, of super types. Um, it's dark. It's dark comedy. It's great. It's it's really, really funny, and it's really cool that they're turning it into a show.
1: Yeah, and the last one is I just started watching last night was called "I Am the Night," and it's by the uh, uh, Patty. What's her name? That that. Um Patty uh, jenkins wonder woman yeah Patty uh, jenkins yeah her show and i think it's only four episodes long so it's a mini mini episodic uh piece and it takes place back in the time around the black dahlia mm-hmm. you know the hollywoodness in the la in the in the 60s and an interesting story so far just you know one episode and and uh yeah i'm already already to see the rest of it and see where it goes Ooh. that's my, my my watch list what do you got Jaime? Mine is a uh, an imager
3: album by uh, chrisreviews.com. Uh, I found this on the either the Star Trek or the Star Trek Discovery subreddit. And uh, if you enjoyed Season 2, Episode 1, Brother, uh, you might want to go check this out. There is a whole bunch. It, it's basically a recap of the episode, scene by scene, but with meme sort of titles uh, and, and interpretations of what's going on in the scene. Uh, I, I'd suggest, you know, maybe during your morning coffee or something, you know, you're still trying to get the, the cobweb out of your brain and see if it, if it starts your day off in a nice way uh, some of these like had me chortling you know some fall a little flat some are a little obvious and some are just like brilliant mm-hmm. so I'd say go check them out
2: mystery science theater like meets uh, discovery yeah yeah <laughs>
3: Ice <laughs> huh. All right.
2: Cool. So what do you got, John? Uh, so I have, uh, out of Sundance this week, we got uh, this really, 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 really cool looking trailer. This is the most Tim thing I've ever seen. So uh, there's this new uh, documentary that's coming. Uh, it was uh, unveiled this week at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, so they have taken a newly discovered trove of uh, 70 millimeter footage from the Apollo 11 mission and paired it with 11,000 hours of uncatalogued audio recordings and they are putting out this new documentary in theaters on Apollo. The trailer is now up on YouTube. We've got the link in our show notes and it is breathtaking. It looks... I I watched it with my uh, eldest son, 15, and he said, oh, they're making a new Apollo movie. And I said, no, this is the actual footage of the actual guys. It's that clear. It looks like you're in the room it looks like you're on the on the set of a night a, a doctor no or something it looks so clear and and vibrant um mm-hmm. really really neat really really cool look at this stuff and i'm really excited to see uh them bring that to the theaters because it's going to be a theat- theatrical release so not often that you get to see uh not only this footage has never been seen before but but you're also going to get to see it on the big screen so that uh that sounds like a uh, movie date for you and me buddy
1: cool yeah well i, I actually bought uh, first man on uh, on my itunes account the other day too so i started watching that again, um, which was a really enjoyable movie. Because, like, I mean, you know, I grew up on this stuff, right? So, oh, yeah. when I see, when I saw the, the, the re- reproduction quality in First Man, I mean, it's almost like they went and got the actual um, hardware and, and used it in the show, but uh, I'm sure they probably reproduced it for, for Hollywood effects. But um, you know, and I've gone and hung around the Smithsonian Space Air and Space Museum and stood next to this stuff and looked at it. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this. It'd be kind of cool. And yep. again, it goes back to that to what I was talking about earlier with the criterion mm-hmm. um, uh, on the first, uh, what's it called? Um, Brawl mankind. mankind movie. Yeah. yeah, which was actually filmed by the astronauts because they were the ones with the cameras in their hand, right?
2: Yeah, and it looks like some of this footage might be that too. So uh, I don't yeah. know if it's. It's different stuff. It's mixed with stuff we've seen before. Like, yeah. it looked like there's some shots that looked familiar, but there was definitely some stuff where it was, like, it was really interesting to see. Um, and I haven't seen as much as you have, so maybe you'll recognize more than I do, but uh, but it, yeah. it, it, it's a really interesting trailer. It's a little two-minute trailer has gone up on YouTube just a couple of days ago, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's really neat to see. Uh, even just on my my 4K TV, it was pretty breathtaking.
1: Yeah, there's I have a couple of box sets. The one called Spacecraft Films, which is um, they put together a lot of footage of getting ready for the mission and actually going on the mission. And actually, in the case of Apollo 11, they actually have I think it was a two hour long um, spacewalk. That's all they did, and then they got back on the ship and came back home. Hmm. Whereas you know subsequent subsequent uh, missions, they went for three or four days and that kind of stuff, and they drove around on little rovers. But so I, I have that on dvd and i also have apollo 15 and i'm trying to get apollo 8 which was the first time that man went to the moon, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, we'll, we'll have to definitely check this one out. I thought I thought like when I first saw the clip here, I just looked at it while you were while we were going through the show earlier, and I thought perhaps it was just a, a reproduction. But then I realized that some of the footage was actually was vintage, and it's mm-hmm. from CNN Films, I think, right?
2: It is, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They do they do good good stuff. They do the seventies, eighties, nineties, and they've done a number of yep. uh, good good. Uh, Movies slightly. so and hopefully, like and the, it's the beauty of it being in the theaters is that the problem with watching CNN films is you, you'll you'll get your PVR all queued up and you're all ready to watch the show and and then some disaster will happen, some you know world you know country leader will do something asinine uh, and. They'll interrupt the broadcast, and mm. you'll never get to see it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happened yeah. with. I think it happened with, um, it was like a episode, it was a uh, Ladies in Comedy, I think, was they did a, a series on comedy, the um, history of comedy, I think it's called, right? And when they got to the Ladies episode, there was some big disaster, and it got preempted, and hmm. had to wait like months before it came back on, on the air. Yep.
2: And the only other thing I'll quickly add to the watch list is uh, at, at Tim's uh, urging, and based on our conversation last week from the Spockies, I decided uh, I was in Ottawa for a few days this week week, uh, for work. And, uh, since I was, you know, uh, it's was minus 37 Celsius up there. I decided that the hotel room was the best place to be. So I watched, uh, the first few episodes of lost in space, the Netflix series. Ooh. And, uh, it's, it's good. It's not great, but it has been enough that I definitely want to keep watching it. So I will watch the rest of it, uh, through all 10 episodes of the first season. And, uh, I did look up to see if they're making more and they are, um, and it's good and I'm enjoying it. So I'm, I'm definitely, there's enough there, there. Um i think i need to get to know the characters a little bit better but uh after watching three episodes uh it's yeah it's it's interesting i like the take on the uh the take that they put on dr smith and i like the take
1: that yeah, they've done on the, say,
2: ro- on the robot
1: yeah i, I like to take on i like to take on dr smith i was going to ask you about that but I, I didn't really like the take on the robot
2: yeah again I, I sort of just sort of scratched the surface a little bit the first step, few episodes are pretty tense obviously it's the you know arrival why they are lost and all that kind of stuff so uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to progress a little bit from there but uh yeah i'll uh, i'll keep watching this week and i'll uh I'll, I'll chime back in next week with my uh recap of the whole thing and, and
1: what i thought yeah 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 the original lost in space got pretty campy pretty quickly so yeah this one doesn't really doesn't
2: well. seem to be very campy it's pretty uh it's a little um uh, tragedy porny it's a little uh yeah, yeah and then another bad thing happened and then another bad thing happened
1: yeah, it's very it's very much like battlestar galactica from that point of view although yeah. they don't have that big long story arc at least i don't think they will have like they did in in battlestar but you know yeah I mean, Battlestar Galactica was so much better than the original you know, TV show or series from the <laughs> 70s and, and or even the movie, right? So, oh,
2: uh, Dirk Benedict is rolling in his grave. Oh, no, wait, he's still alive.
1: Um, yeah, Lauren, still alive. Green, Lauren Green, Lauren Green. Lauren Green is rolling in his grave. Beloved yeah. Canadian actor, Lauren Green. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week, K. Hey? So, uh, Jonathan, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at News. All right, and uh, how many people can get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. right? And as I said at the top of the show, my name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine as well. You'll find me and maybe someday on Twitch TV. Who knows? Um, yeah, so until next week, uh, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye.
4: That concludes another
3: episode of Spotcast, streamed to you via subspace signal. I'm friend of the show, Greg Keogh, joining you from Sector 001. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with your Star Trek nerd hosts on the website or follow them on Twitter. They're at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send them a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending it to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount of gold press latinum at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help them out on the website spotcast.com slash sponsor us thanks for listening and we'll see you in the future wishing you peace and long life
4: information connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com. that's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com Corient.com.
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola Pepsi or 7-Up all with your card